Can we all agree that God's presence is with us this morning? There's just this sense that there's a thread that sort of hopefully we'll unpack together, which will be awesome this morning. Now, during the week, I had to chuckle to myself. I seem to always land the daylight savings preaching gig. I'm not sure if that means I'm not that good, so they give me the one where people aren't here, or the fact they want to see if I'm going to sleep in and miss it one morning. Does anyone else ever get nervous that your phone's not going to change? I went to bed last night, I was like, are we gaining an hour? Are we losing an hour? Do I get more sleep? Do I get less sleep? And I had all these thoughts running through my head, which kept me awake for about an hour. <laughs> then I thought, oh, I'm really not putting myself in a good spot. And I thought, what would happen if I slept in one morning? Who knows? It didn't happen, but what a good thought it was anyway. Am I the only one that gets nervous by that? Give me a wave if you also get nervous. Wow, half the church. But you made it, which means your iPhones, your Androids, whatever phone you choose to use, automatically change. However, I did notice one thing while I was sitting there. My watch has not automatically changed. Plus, it also says today is the 31st. So I thought, hmm, I'm going to have to do something about that after the service. Now, I wanted to do a quick little bit of a survey with all of us that are in the room this morning or online. So if you're in the room, time to loosen up your shoulder. There's got to be a lot of hand raising because we're Pentecostals. And if you're online, loosen up your thumbs for some thumbs up emojis. Now, are you ready for my first question this morning? It could go anywhere. Pastor Charles is currently in the Melbourne Marathon, which means I can do whatever I want. Taran's filming, which means I can't do whatever I want because Pastor Charles will see it. But are you ready to answer this question for me? And remember, this is a safe place. We're all friends here. Give me a wave if you own a dining table. Come put your hands up. Quite a few, quite a few. Look, thank you for your honesty. This is a safe place. And because this is a safe place, bit of confession time with Geordie. I moved out of home at about the age of 18 years old. And until I met my beautiful wife and moved into a house, I did not own a dining table. I had a milk crate, I had a couch, I had a coffee table, I had a pizza box that we probably should have thrown out a little while ago, we just kind of kept getting it on there for there. I never owned a dining table. In fact, when myself and Talisha, we were sort of engaged, we were buying stuff for the house, we went to Super Amart one morning, and Talisha goes, hey, I think we need to buy a dining table. And I said, honey, we don't need a dining table. And she goes, we do. I said, honey, it's $800. We really don't need a dining table. And it led to what can only be described as a robust yet healthy discussion. <laughs> we left that day with a dining table and I learned a valuable lesson. <laughs> yes, and for the record, I can say this in front of all of you because we're family. My wife was indeed right. We needed a dining table. But anyway, I digress. Let me ask another question this morning. And if you answered yes, remember this is a safe place. Give me a wave if your dining table often becomes a place of storage. So you just store stuff on it. Give me a wave. We have a lot of honest people in this church. I was expecting three of you to go, yeah, not us. But the reason I ask this question is over the last two and a bit years, our dining tables have actually taken on many different shapes and forms. For some of us, they become a storage place. For others, they become your work from home office. For others, you become remote school teachers. For myself and Talisha, it's about to become a baby change table slash bathing space. <laughs> Don't eat off our table. Correct. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> it's a joke, guys. Relax. Yeah. Or is it? You'll never know. But anyway, the reason I ask this question is because a dining table can be used for many different things. But this next question, and you don't have to answer this out loud. If you're online, you can just ponder it. 
When was the last time you ate a meal with someone at your dining table? The reason I ask this question this morning is that when we look at the life of Jesus throughout the Gospels, we see him at a lot of tables with a lot of different people from different walks of life, social backgrounds, cultural backgrounds and more. And we see this pattern throughout the New Testament with the key biblical figures such as Paul and Peter. In fact, as Nathan preached last week, there was something that was said in Acts 16.34 that jumped out at me. That's after Paul and Silas are in jail. The jailer takes him straight to his house for a meal. I thought, gee, that's so interesting. The dude's sitting there going, this is the end of me. Next minute, he's feeding the people that he's supposed to have in prison there. What a pattern we see emerging. And as I was preparing this message to share with all of us throughout the week, I couldn't shake this thought that kept coming back to me over and over and over again. And it was this. How can we, as followers of Jesus, reclaim our tables to show Christ-like love to those around us? And if I could take that step, that thought one step further, how can we recapture the power of life at the table with others? And I've observed, especially over the last two years, when it comes to food and eating in the society in which we find ourselves, it often goes one of two ways. On one hand, you have the rise of movements such as the slow food movement, which is all about preserving local food culture, looking at what we're eating and what is the impact that, that has on the environment around us. We have super foodies like Steve Crennan, Lockie Rogers and my husband Nathan, who are all about spending countless hours in the kitchen perfecting a pizza dough or the perfect brisket. And that's just to name a few people from our church because we're a church that loves food. In fact, I would argue this, there is a sixth love language and it's food. <laughs> But then on the other hand, we also have a culture of fast food, where food is simply seen as fuel, where it's about eating on the go, smashing something in the car or eating at our desks at work and never stopping, but simply getting the fuel we need to keep going. In fact, Australians, according to a report conducted by Money Australia, order 7,000 meals via Uber Eats, DoorDash or other food delivery companies per hour. So whoever's ordering Sanchiro's right now, don't forget me. I appreciate you. Now, granted, I'm sure that some of us, we eat our deliveries at the tables. But is it any wonder that our tables become places of storage instead of places of meeting and life when everything is just so easy to order from our phones? And these are two different points I'm presenting here that I'm aware can and often do live in balance with one another. But if we once again go back to the life of our Saviour Jesus Christ and those from the early church, we see the importance of the table and being around the table with others. So how do we, as modern day followers of Jesus, reclaim our tables? In fact, let's this morning turn together to Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 to 40, which will come up on the screen. And it's a passage that I'm sure many of us are familiar with. And let's see how this passage of scripture can speak to us today. But before we get into it, let's take a moment to stop, to still our minds, to turn them on to our Heavenly Father and pray. Lord, let your words go forth this morning, Father. Let anything that's from me fall away, Father. Lord, speak to our souls this morning. Holy Spirit, have your way in this community. Let us be a people that are so enamoured by you and wanting to know you more and more, but we can't help but spread that joy, Father. Lord, we love you so much. In your precious and holy name, amen. amen. The title of my message for all those that are taking notes this morning is this, Reclaim the Table. But without any further ado, let's jump into Matthew 25, 34 to 40 together. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. 
Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Here we find Jesus speaking to his disciples about the end of the age and who will inherit the kingdom of God. And in this passage, most commentaries agree that in verse 40, when Jesus said the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, it's a reference to Jesus' disciples and by extension, all believers. We see the sheep commended for their great compassion for those in need, for the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, for those who are naked, sick or in prison. It is through caring for those in need that the righteous themselves discover that their acts of compassion are the same as if done for Jesus. But the question that we have to ask as we look at this passage of Scripture is this, where do we begin? Because this is a massive teaching. And whilst it does have some parabolic elements to it, it's also fairly straightforward. We, as followers of Jesus, are to care for those in need. And for some of us, maybe this could happen over our tables. Our tables could become a refuge for those who need to experience compassion and care. A place of joy, safety and Christ-like love for those who need it most. But this, of course, then begs the question, who are those that need at our table? But before we can answer this question, we actually need to take a step back and look at not only how we reclaim our tables, but what happens at tables. For Matthew, the author of the before-mentioned passage of Scripture, he was called by Jesus in Matthew chapter, 9 verse, uh, chap Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, but then immediately in the next verse we see him at a table with Jesus. It would be, however, remiss of me, though, not to acknowledge that this idea of sharing a meal with someone can be sometimes uncomfortable and hard. And it will be hard as some of us seek to reclaim our tables. There is a practical element of some of you that throughout the years, like me, you don't actually have a table for people to gather around. But the great thing is a table doesn't have to be in your home. It could be at a restaurant. It could be at someone else's house. It could be a park on a rug. The table is really wherever we gather together over a meal. And for some of us, this whole concept will be causing you to go, yeah, no thanks, not for me. And I get it. Not all of us are great at cooking. I was going to insert a joke here, but I'm not going to look at anyone. I'm going to look straight forward. But as Carolyn Lacey in her book, Extraordinary Hospitality for Ordinary People, reminds us, Isaiah 55 gives us a picture of God's cheerful, big-hearted, open-handed, ungrudging, freely given, forever satisfying welcome. Reading Isaiah 55, 1-7. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithfulness of David. Since I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader, a commander of all peoples, so you will summon a nation you do not know and nations who do not will glorify you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. We serve a creator who loves us so much and through Jesus, he actually invites us to his table. Imagine what would happen if we showed that same kind of radical love and hospitality at our tables. Don't you just wonder what might not only shift in our lives, but the lives of those around us as, as well. So the first point I want to explore together this morning is this. What happens at the table? And to help us do this, we're going to be using Luke's gospel, a.k.a. the food gospel. Because in Luke's gospel, there's 19 examples of meals of it. And the reason I call it the food gospel is 13 examples of that are only found in his gospel. Some might even argue that perhaps Luke's love language was also food like us. But there are so many examples of things happening at tables in this book. And a quick look through reveals the following things going down at tables. Fellowship and celebration. Healing and hospitality. Receiving forgiveness, prophetic confrontation, reconciliation, and the celebration of redemption. For myself, some of my most fond memories have been at various tables with different people. My wife told me she was pregnant over that AMART table I didn't want to buy all those years ago. I've gotten to have reach and deep, deep conversations with so many people in this room over tables. Pastor Greg Murray has cooked a meal for me over a table. Amen. But I have no doubt that if I went around this room, each of you could probably tell me a memory you have over a table. And if we extended that to all the people that are joining us online, they too could also give us a memory. And during lockdowns, one of the things that I kept hearing coming up over and over and over again was this. Gee, I can't wait to see people again and have a meal with them. Give me a wave if that was you. Wow, half of us are introverts and half of us are extroverts, so now we know. But how good has it been back having meals with everyone? Sure, we've all become a little bit cuddlier since we've reopened, but there's something truly beautiful about gathering with others. And I know that lockdowns only further highlighted the importance of that to me. But now, over a year since our last lockdown, when life has picked back up again, we've also seen how easy it is for our lives to fill back up. And all of a sudden, those life-giving things, such as sharing a meal with other people, have been put on the back burner. I find it amazing that when life gets busy, we often mistakenly get rid of the things that could bring life to us, such as relationship with one another or serving a glorious saviour, and we often replace them with things of no real consequence. Instead of, perhaps instead of imagining that we were watching the latest season of Cobra Kai, which is incredible by the way, not sponsored, but if they want to, I'm down. <laughs> or pacifying ourselves with looking at our phones or doom scrolling all the time, what would happen if we invited someone over and spent some time together with them, encouraged them and championing them? At the very least, we might actually get to know people better. And perhaps right now, as we're unpacking this, the Holy Spirit may be putting some people's names on your mind and heart to reach out to. And one of the most fascinating table exchanges we see with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke is found in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 48. So let's turn there together and have a read. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, 
This man, if he were a prophet, would know who, what kind of woman that is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of those will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loves so much. But the one who has forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who are at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this man? He even forgives sins. What an incredible passage of scripture. Not only did we see Jesus eating with someone who did not have his best interests at heart, but here we see a beautiful picture of our Saviour's love and forgiveness. And that same love and forgiveness extends to each of us that are in this room today. Because of this passage of scripture, it shows Jesus revealing his divinity to those around him gathered at the table. That's why we see Luke intentionally raise the question, who is this man that he ever forgives sins in verse 49? But Simon's answer to Jesus in verse 43 to 46 is also fascinating and a little bit funny because it highlights Simon's lack of hospitality. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them. It's a beautiful scene set over a table, a scene of not only correction towards Simon, but of also beautiful repentance and forgiveness. And as I was preparing this message, I couldn't shake the thought that perhaps for some of us here, our tables haven't been places of forgiveness. They've inadvertently become the opposite. They've become places of hurt and division. Yet here in this passage of scripture, we see that forgiveness can happen over a table. We see Jesus model it. And whilst we can't forgive sins like Jesus can, we can forgive those who've hurt us and we can ask forgiveness for those we've hurt. Amen. Once again, we can use the table as a place to show and model Christ-like love to those around us. And I've got to go out on a limb here and try and be obedient to the Holy Spirit this morning. But perhaps some of us know in our hearts there are people we need to forgive. For too long, we've allowed heated conversations, differing opinions and unforgiveness to take a hold in some of our lives. And they've formed divisions in our families and those that we do life with that were never there two years ago. And over our meals and tables, they become hostile and things we only do because we have to, which is not what Jesus showed or taught. We need to be like our saviour, and we need to forgive. And as I was preparing this message, I had a word for someone. I don't know if you're in the room or you're online, but the word was this. This Christmas season is going to bring a time of forgiveness and reconciliation over a table with your family. But you have to be willing to be like Jesus and not the Pharisee in this passage of scripture we just read. Jesus didn't hold the woman's past against her like the Pharisee did. He forgave her, and like the women, we're all sinners in need of a saviour. But for whoever for this word is, once again, I don't know if you're in the room or online, this Christmas season, 
reconciliation will come to your dinner table. Amen? So what happens at the table? The short answer as we look at Luke's gospel is a heck of a lot. But much like we see in this gospel, our tables too can be filled with fellowship, forgiveness, hospitality, celebration, reconciliation and Christ-like love. And I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty awesome to me and that's the kind of table I want to get invited to. And that's not me fishing for a dinner invite, by the way, but if you feel free, I'm always down. But in the process of reclaiming our tables, another question that we have to ask to ourselves is this. It's my second point for this morning. How do we get to the table? In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we read that Martha invites Jesus into her home. Circling back to Luke 7, 38, we see the Pharisee invite Jesus to eat with him. This occurs again in Luke chapter 14. And what we can see beginning to emerge throughout these passages of Scripture is a pattern of invitation. So to answer the question, how do we get to the table? We not only get invited, but we invite others as well to the table. It is one thing to receive and accept an invitation, but it's another thing to extend an invitation to show hospitality to those around us. And if we continue to look at the book of Luke, we see many examples of Jesus being at the table with his followers. And throughout the New Testament, we can see the followers continue this pattern by spending time with one another over tables. And what is fascinating when looking at who Jesus was spending his time with over the tables, it was a very diverse group of people. As we read before, it was everyone from the Pharisees and the religious elite of the day, all the way to those who the broader society had shunned, such as tax collectors, prostitutes and those considered unworthy. It paints a compelling picture of what the kingdom of God will be like and that all are welcome. It means that each of us in this room or online this morning we have a place at the table. And I don't know about you, but that fills me with so much joy and hope. And because we know the good news of Jesus Christ, shouldn't we want to share that with those around us, perhaps even over a table? But before we can reclaim our tables, it's important to not forget to meet with Jesus at his table, as we see in Luke 22, verse 7 to 14, with the institution of communion. When we meet with Jesus over his table, it helps put things in perspective. That without Jesus' great sacrifice, we couldn't have forgiveness. That he freely paid a debt that each of us owed. What an act of love to remember as we seek to show Christ-like love at our tables. And as we gather a community like we are today, we gather to worship, to partake in communion with one another, which we'll get the opportunity to do before the service ends. And it not only reminds us of Jesus' great love and forgiveness, but it also reminds us of who unites each of us in this room, which is our Lord and Saviour. I often pondered myself on a Sunday morning that if it wasn't for Jesus or our belief in him, what, if anything, would bring us all together or online? Because when you stop and think about it, we are an eclectic bunch of people. If you don't believe me, take a moment to have a look around. <laughs> we each have different hobbies interests, jobs, opinions, backgrounds, family of origin, hopes and dreams and all sorts of stuff. But when we gather as the church, we're united by a heavenly father. We're reminded of what he calls us to, that we are sons and daughters of the most high and living God and that each of us are loved and valued. It doesn't matter about the differences we have. In fact, diversity can be healthy and strengthening thing for communities. 
But what matters is that we are all united in our pursuit of following the way of Jesus and to be seeking to be more transformed into his image. So, whether, so when we get to our tables, whether that be with people we've invited or we've been invited by, we can remember that we are a set apart and called people. Amen? Amen? And as I was preparing this message and praying about it, an image popped into my head while I was driving home the other day, so I quickly rushed inside, grabbed a notepad, and I scribbled out this image, which was a great encouragement that perhaps I was hearing the right thing to share with our community this morning. And as I drew it, I could visually see a link between living out Matthew 25, 34 to 40 at our tables and where some of us might find ourselves today. The first image that'll come up on the screen behind me there, and apologies for the dodgy graphic design, you should have seen the scribble on the notepad, this is much more legible. This represents us gathered here today as a group of believers. In this space, we worship corporately, we hear God's word, we connect and encourage one another and we partake in communion at the Lord's table. We gather because of our Saviour, which is why we need to keep him into the middle of all things. But how do we get from here where we are today this morning or online and how do we get to tables with others? This second image, which will come up now, once again shows Jesus in the centre where he must always remain. But now it shows us, the body, going out to tables. We gather corporately on a Sunday so we can be equipped to go out during the week. But before we can make it to those fringes at the very top of that image as and live out what we see in Matthew 25, 34 to 40, perhaps we need to start by reclaiming our tables with our family and friends. Why not have someone over for a meal this week and spend some time together? And if we go to the next circle out, is there someone from our neighbourhood or community that you can get to know? For myself and Talisha, we have been so blessed by getting to know our neighbours over the last few years. And then if I could take this step to its conclusion, imagine if we went from there to those we don't yet not know. Imagine what it would look like to have a meal with someone you've never met before. And can I be bold with all of us here today this morning? Why don't we set some time aside this week to ask the Holy Spirit to show us people that need love, care and compassion? And why don't we invite them for a catch-up over a table? And if you get invited, why not say yes and see what the Holy Spirit does? But for some of us here today, perhaps we need to start right at the start and we need to actually just come to the table with our Heavenly Father and start there. We need to seek Him again and perhaps for some of us, we need to put him back in the centre to ask for forgiveness and to remember his great love. And it's from that place he will equip us to show us his presence at our tables. So circling back to the question we started our time together today with, how can we reclaim our tables and show Christ-like love to those around us? We keep Jesus at the centre. We gather together around his table and then we go out. Because of our wondrous saviour, our tables can be filled with fellowship, forgiveness, hospitality, celebration, reconciliation and Christ-like love. So before we gather around the communion table, let's hear Jesus' words in Matthew 25, 37 to 40 one more time. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger or take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or visit you in prison 
And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. So church, let's spend some time around the Lord's table this morning as I invite Taran up. Thank you.